Now, Nicola and I, we met at the Royal Veterinary College in London in 1983. And although I then went on to work as a vet in England, Nicola's career was cut short after one year of work when she fell ill with ME, myelagic encephalomyelitis, post-viral fatigue, and that left her mostly bedridden for the next three years. We got married in England in 1989, but as the years went by and she didn't get any better, we came home to live in Ireland in 1991. Now, I'm going to cut a very long story very short and simply say to you that within two months of arriving, Nicola had recommitted her life to Christ and she had been instantaneously healed in a church meeting through the gift of the word of knowledge. So you can imagine our joy when some months later we got the news that Nicola was expecting our first child. I remember that day so well. What a joy it was to have such good news that I couldn't wait to share it with everyone who would listen. Now I mentioned that this morning by way of introduction because I want to speak to you about the gospel of God's grace, the goodness of our Heavenly Father. And I often used to look back on that day, the day I found out I was going to be a father, and wonder why after so many years in church, I never did seem to experience the same joy or boldness about sharing the good news of the gospel. I mean, on the day Nicola shared her news with me, my first thought was not to look to a course or try and find a seminar, on how to share this good news. Do you know that there are no courses out there on how to witness to your family and friends that you've become a dad or a mum? Apparently, people need no training at all. Now, many of us as Christians seek to draw closer to God by studying many topics in the Bible, everything from the Garden of Eden to the millennial reign, from the lives of the prophets and the kings of old to church history and end-time theology. And all these things are studied in an attempt to get closer to God, to rise in faith. And yet the strange thing is that for many of us, we never seem to rise again to the heights of joy we knew at the time of our salvation, in those heady days when we had nothing to offer God but our sin and discovered that under his grace, that was all he was asking from us. In those first days of salvation, life had suddenly become all about what God had done for us and we didn't need a course of study in evangelism or prayer because the joy in our hearts caused us to pray and share without even thinking about it. You know, that lack of self-consciousness we could call holy boldness. And it comes from being consumed with how good God has been to you and the resulting thanksgiving that fills your heart. Now, in speaking of grace today, if I had to repeat one scripture, I think I would choose Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. I'm sure you know it well. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So let's begin by defining what we mean by the word grace. Well, if you listen to Strong's Concordance and the definition there of the Greek word charis that we know as grace, it says this, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. So right there, the grace of God is defined as the divine influence. And as believers, we understand that the divine influence is not a thing. It is the person of the Holy Spirit. So when I speak of the grace of God this morning, I never separate God from his grace because here is the truth at the heart of the gospel, our greatest source of joy. Love came in person and love comes in person. That's worth saying again. 
love came in person and love comes in person. That's why I get so excited when we come together to share the gospel. Because like you, I'm sure, I don't want to come away from such a gathering as this with a list of things I need to do for God. I want to come away having encountered God and being changed by that encounter. And that is the power that is in the gospel of God's grace. The power to lift our vision out of the earthly realm and into the reality that heaven sees. And what heaven sees is that through Christ, God the Father has not withheld from us his grace, his presence, his very life. And that's why I want to speak about the gospel of God's grace, because only that gospel opens our eyes to see the Father as he truly is. Love came in person, the Son, and love comes in person, the Spirit. And that impartation, that encounter with God's presence, his spirit, his nature, love, comes through the proclamation of the testimony of Jesus about the Father, the gospel. For Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. Now this is how we can know we've actually been listening to the gospel, the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is an impartation of spirit and life. You should experience the grace of God the divine influence upon your heart, his Holy Spirit, and that be reflected in your life as profound gratitude. In other words, the gospel should always leave you with your eyes on Christ, not yourself. The gospel should always leave you with your eyes on Christ, not yourself. Any message you hear that leaves you with a list of things you need to do in order to be more like God, in other words, that leaves you with your eyes on yourself, leaves you with your hope on yourself. Now, good advice can be very helpful, and we've all benefited from good advice. There is nothing wrong with giving people advice. Just do the world a big favor. Stop calling that the gospel. The gospel is not good advice. It is good news, and there is a profound difference between the two. Good news is the news of something that has already happened that benefits me. Good advice can only be about something that hasn't happened yet, but might happen if I follow the advice. Can you see then that good news leaves your attention on what was done for you, but good advice leaves your attention on yourself, your ability to follow the advice. But salvation is not of yourself, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Advice leaves your hope on yourself. Do you know that when your hope is on yourself, your ability, your performance, then you've just made yourself your own savior, your own God. And that is the most exhausting, frustrating, burdensome, and ultimately the saddest life there is. There is no more frustrating life than to live for years thinking your hope is in what God has done for you, when all along it has actually been in what you have done for him. You know, I think that condition is so prevalent in the body of Christ that I believe the gospel is not just a message that the world needs to hear. It is a message that the church needs to hear and keep hearing because there is power in the gospel of God's grace to open our eyes to see as heaven sees and so rejoice as heaven rejoices over the completeness of Christ's work. Only the gospel of God's grace, not the gospel of man's obedience, can impart righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. His righteousness, His peace, and His joy. And He wants us so filled that when we walk out into this dark world, the darkness must draw back. 
because when we enter any place and announce the kingdom of God has drawn near you, they can see by the righteousness, peace and joy in our lives that it really has. So this morning, I'm going to contrast two messages that we all sit under all the time. Now, I've already called them the gospel of God's grace and the gospel of man's obedience. Now, don't be put off by that. I'm not saying that your obedience is not important. I'm simply saying that your obedience is not the gospel. Christ's obedience is the gospel. Now, I'll also refer to these two messages as the gospel and the two, because a mixed foundation leads to a mixed experience. Anyone here with a mixed experience of Christianity? Mm -hmm. Well, this is why Paul wrote, let no one build on any other foundation but Jesus Christ. And why he summed up his gospel message by saying, we preach Christ and him crucified. Can you hear that there's nothing about what you or I have to do for God in that foundation or in that message? In other words, the foundation of our Christian lives is God's life for us, not God's life for us plus our life for him. Our salvation is not of ourselves. We're saved by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, boasting in the body of Christ always leads to division. Just as if you tamper with a pure foundation of a building, it will always lead to cracks in the walls. And that's why when Paul had to write to a church like the Corinthians, where cracks and divisions had appeared, as well as immorality and boasting and other works of the flesh, he didn't reach for the law to curb their sinning because he knew the root of their problem wasn't a lack of willpower. It was a lack of sight. He didn't say to them, can you not stop? He declared, can you not see? Can you not see who you now are? The very temple of the Holy Spirit. Why are you breaking into factions? One saying, I follow Apollos, another I follow Peter or Paul, as if there is an advantage to be gained by following one preacher over another. Can you not see? that all things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. That's 1 Corinthians 3, 21 to 23. Now, I'm not speaking to you this morning as someone who claims to be entirely free of the affliction of which I'm speaking. My thinking too is still a mixture of law and grace, but I know that the gospel of God's grace is continually renewing my mind and bringing me into the mind of Christ. And that's why I need the gospel of God's grace continually minister to me to detox my thinking from the spirit of the world, the spirit of performance, the I mentality of this world of self-effort that you and I were born into. My thinking is a mixture because like you, I live in the world and in the church and both environments are heavily influenced by the spirit of the world. That is the mindset that always places more emphasis on man's ability than God's grace. The spirit of this world can only speak to you of what you need to do to save yourself because this world magnifies men. But listen to the Apostle Paul's words to the Corinthians. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that comes from God, that we may know the things freely given to us by God. That's 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12. So I realize that my mind is in the process of being renewed because in this religious world of self-effort, my mind has been so conformed to saving myself that even when I hear the true gospel, my self-dependency always tends to hear it as good advice rather than good news. That's what happens when you spend too much time listening to the gospel of good advice 
and not enough time drinking in the gospel of good news. Eventually, the message that once declared, receive Christ and be changed, now sounds like, be changed and you can receive Christ. The spirit that comes from God wants to speak to you of the things freely given to you by God. But the spirit of the world, the spirit that magnifies men, can only speak of what might be given to you if you first will give to him. If you first will do this for him, then he will do this for you. Can you hear what that is? It's a you first message. The problem is the gospel is not a you first message. It is a he first message. It doesn't say that if you love him, then he will love you more. It says that we only love him at all because he first loved us. That's 1 John 4.19. And in that same passage, John also declares these beautiful words. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Can you hear the way the gospel of God's grace points to Christ, not you? It is the gospel of God's grace, not the gospel of your obedience. It points to his love, his obedience, his righteousness, his faith. And that's why it has the power to lift your hope up from where religion left it on yourself and place it back on the one who is so confident that all that needs to be done for you has been done, that he has sat down. I'm speaking to you about this beautiful gospel, the gospel of God's grace, because I want to speak to you about the Father. And it's the gospel that opens our eyes to the Father. So when I speak to you of the gospel of his grace, I'm speaking to you about the Father, for it is in Christ that we see the Father. No wonder the Apostle Paul said in effect to the Colossians, you were raised up with Christ, so for goodness sake, Set your vision, your reality, not on the earthly realm, but on the realm above, where Christ has sat down and you with him. For believer, you died, and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. You know, that's uh, Colossians 3, verse 3. And in that statement, we can once again see the difference between good news and good advice. Good news speaks of what now is because Christ. Good advice can only speak of what might be if you. Have you noticed that with religion, the gospel of self-effort, better days are always coming, always in the future, but never quite seem to arrive? There always seems to be something more we have to do, pray more, give more, suffer more. But here's the problem with that. Keep letting people put your hope on yourself and any joy and thanksgiving in your life will slowly dry up because hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's Proverbs 13, verse 12. You know, you can only hear so many times that this is the year of your breakthrough before your heart closes up in disappointment. Here is the truth that will set you free. Your year of breakthrough was 2,000 years ago, the year Christ rose from the dead. Don't let anyone defer your hope one more day, never mind one more year. Believer, your hope is not Christ in heaven one day. It is Christ in you today. The gospel doesn't declare who you might be one day if you. It declares who you are today because he, Christ, did all that needed to be done to enable you to be all he saw you to be. Now, to receive that life and walk in it, that hidden with Christ and God life, I need to stop believing in my life for him and start believing in his life for me. And for that, we have the gospel. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why I love to say to believers, please 
Don't tell me I need more faith. Just give me the gospel by which faith comes. Can you hear what I'm saying? Don't point me to me. Point me to Christ. You know, when you've been brought up in a religious environment, and I guess that's where we've all been brought up in this world, because this world is one that believes in self-effort, then it may take time for our minds to be renewed, to stop hearing the gospel as what I have to do for him. You know, in John 6, verse 28, the people listening to Jesus, uh, they had a question. And it's the question that people who have only ever known the law can't help but ask. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Can you hear what they're asking? They're pointing to themselves. Listen to Jesus' answer. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, can you hear what Jesus is doing? He's pointing to himself. And here is the fundamental difference between law and gospel. One points to you, the other points to Christ. The gospel of good advice sounds so righteous and zealous as it exhorts you to try harder, to do better, be holier for God. But look where it is pointing you to. Your willpower, your flesh. Believer, any message that points you to yourself that effectively says, try harder, is driving you back into your self-life. You're separated from God life. And the the problem with your old self-life is that it could only ever be a selfish life. And that's why God, neither Father, nor Son, nor Spirit, have a self-life, an I-life. Right from the beginning, they have lived as one. And that's why Genesis doesn't record God saying, I shall make man in my image, but rather, come, let us make man in our image. That's why when they said to Jesus, how do you do the miracles you do? He, in fact, replied, it is not I alone who do these things. I never do anything by myself. I only say and do what the Father is saying and doing. That's why to be filled with God's Spirit is to find ourselves able to say what Paul said to the Galatians. I was crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but the life I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. No matter how hard you yourself work to clean up your life of sins, all the best efforts of your self-life, can only produce a selfish life. And a selfish life can never be holy in the eyes of God. That's why it's not a school, but a cross that has become for us the symbol of Christ's life. Because he didn't come to improve your self-life. He came to put it to death. Christ didn't come to start a new religion. He came to abolish religion, self-effort. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote of how zealous his religious Jewish brethren were to serve God, but said that all that zeal for holiness had no power, for its source was their own flesh. He wrote in Romans 10, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. To everyone who believes. The gospel of God's grace is a message of power precisely because, unlike all the religious messages and gospels of this world, it is not a message about your righteousness and how you can improve it. I'm not ashamed of this gospel, Paul wrote to the Romans. It is the power of God unto salvation because in it the righteousness of God is revealed. 
You see, religion has no power to change people because it points to themselves their righteousness. The gospel is not the good advice about your righteousness. It is the good news about God's righteousness and what he has done with it. He has gifted it to us in Christ and can be freely received by all who will humble themselves to receive it. Hey, please don't go making humbling yourself into a work to earn grace. True humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And there is nothing in all this world more powerful to lift your eyes, your hope off yourself than the gospel of God's grace. There's also nothing more powerful to drop your eyes onto yourself and the works of your flesh than the law. Now both can be delivered with zealous passion. But as Paul declared in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to save all those who believe. Why? Because in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. You see, the power of God, the grace of God, his divine influence that fills you with such thanksgiving as to transform your life, it comes in the good news of what God has done for you in Christ. And all who receive this abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life. That is, they will find the power to live a life that transcends all the troubles and tragedies of this life. The proclamation of God's grace lifts your eyes to Christ and your heart to live for him. The proclamation of the law will drop your eyes onto yourself and leave you in the strength of your own flesh. You know, 300 years ago, John Bunyan, while lying in a prison cell for preaching the gospel, expressed this truth so much better. He wrote this, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. That's why I said you can give all the good advice you want to people, but please don't call that the gospel. Because to mix a little law in with the gospel is to change the whole nature of the message. It's hard to fly when someone keeps nailing one of your wings to the earth. Believer, you were raised with Christ. And any man who is in Christ is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Please don't let someone pull you back down to earth. You have been born again of the last Adam, not the first. So be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's Ephesians 4, verse 23 and 24. You see, in Christ, righteousness is not your goal. It's your starting place. For in Christ, he has become for us our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. You know, starting at the right place makes all the difference in the world. If you go into a large shopping center with uh, hundreds of shops and several floors, and you're looking to find your way to a certain place, you can use one of those floor maps that they have where all the shops on all the floors are listed. And you can see from that map where your destination is. But you know, before you can go in the right direction, you need to find one more thing on the map, one more vital piece of information, without which you will just walk around in circles. You need to find the little arrow that says, you are here. Now remember earlier, I mentioned what Paul wrote to the Colossians. He said, you were raised with Christ. So set your eyes, not on the earth below, but on the things above where Christ has sat down at the right hand of the Father, for you have died 
and your life now is hidden with Christ in God. That was the Holy Spirit saying to the Colossians, you are here. Begin from here. Believer, you were born from above to live from above, and it's the gospel of God's grace that gives you wings. When Christians start to see that they are saved by grace through faith, and that not of themselves, but the gift of God, in other words, that they're not a Christian because of their new behavior, but because of their new birth, then a remarkable thing happens. They stop trying to be a Christian and start living as a child of God. That is what it is to remain where he placed us. And Jesus promised, remain in me and you will bear much fruit. So, what is God's way of enabling us to start from the right place and remain in the right place, living our life in him? He never stops speaking to us according to his grace and purpose, not our record. That's how he ensures that we begin and remain in that right place. He never stops speaking to us according to his grace and purpose, not according to our record. Do you know how important the Holy Spirit knows it is to speak to us according to the new creation, according to Christ's life in us and our life in him? Important enough never to speak to us as if we are not God's children. You know, we have four children, and they're all grown up now into adulthood, but there was a time in their lives when they each crawled along the floor on all fours, and they would have each have been happy to eat off the floor and to do their business on the floor. But as their parents, we never ever spoke to them as if they were dogs, because we didn't see them according to their behavior, but according to who we knew them to be, long before they ever had that knowledge themselves of who they were. And that's why when Paul spoke to those Corinthians who were up to their eyes in immorality, even then he refused to speak to believers as if they were mere men. In fact, when he wanted to describe to them how far short they were living of the reality of the new creation, he actually said to them, you're behaving like mere men, as 1 Corinthians 3.3. You know, when the world wants to describe men's behavior as falling short of what it should be, they often say they were behaving like animals. In heaven, they say of Christians, they were behaving like mere men. From time to time in history, you know, there are reports of children actually being found that were being reared by wolves or dogs. Now, it's very rare. It's extremely shocking for those who see it to see children acting like dogs. And these children, of course, are rescued. And then they would begin a process of re-education to persuade them of who they really are. What do you think would be the secret to seeing the renewing of the minds of those children so that they're no longer conformed in their behavior to the world they were brought up in, the world of dogs, but were transformed in their thinking and so they're living to live as men and women? I would say the key would be very simple. From the day you find them, never ever speak to them or treat them as anything else but human. No matter how much they behave like a dog, never agree with that lie in their lives. Let your every dealing with them call them upwards into a higher calling. Don't let them ever be addressed by you as if they are a dog. Now, you might say, Phelan, uh, where does it say that in the Bible? <laughs> Galatians 5 verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, the most passionate letter the Apostle Paul ever wrote was not to the licentious Corinthians, 
but to the religious Galatians. You see, the Corinthians were messing around with sin, but the Galatians were messing around with the gospel. Someone had just come along and mixed just a little good advice with the gospel of God's grace. Now, it didn't seem much to the Galatians. I mean, they thought, well, what could be the harm in getting circumcised? Sure, is that not a sign of our devotion to God? Here's the problem, Paul said. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Once you mix a little bit of your work for God into the pure foundation of Christ and his finished work, sooner or later cracks, divisions will appear in the body as the circumcised group start to boast over the uncircumcised group. For here is one truth no man can escape. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Only the spirit gives birth to spirit. There can be no boasting in the body of Christ when we are persuaded that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now we've been speaking this morning about the gospel of God's grace and the gospel of man's obedience, the gospel of good news and the gospel of good advice. One is earthly food and one is heavenly food. Earthly food can never satisfy. Within a day you're hungry again. The last thing you need today is more good advice. You need good news, heavenly food. For as Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but in every word that keeps proceeding from the mouth of the Father. What I've been saying to you today is this, the gospel of God's grace. What God would say over you, praise God. That's the revelation of the Father. This is how you know you've been spoken to by the Father. You were born from above to live from above. So let the gospel of God's grace, the good news of what he has done, lift you by the power of his Spirit into thinking from, speaking from, and living from the heavenly realm. For it is by such lives that the kingdom of heaven is seen on the earth. Let us speak to each other, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Speak to me, not according to my earthly record, but according to my heavenly one, Christ. And if you find me short-sighted in the Spirit, and not able to see past my own failings, please don't tell me I need more faith. Just give me the gospel by which faith comes. Don't give me a gospel that points to me. Give me one that points me to Christ, the gospel of God's grace. God bless you.